So on Monday, you know that we, we found out that there had been a shooting at Covenant School. And Covenant School is the school of Covenant Presbyterian Church, which is one of our churches in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. And their pastor is um, Chad Scruggs. He used to be an RUF campus pastor like, like I was. You know, our, our, our denominational world is kind of a, a small world. We heard that there were six victims, three children, all of them age nine, and there were three adults. And this shooting felt very personal, like it was our family, our church family. And as a pastor, he used to be an RUF pastor with a seven-year-old daughter. Uh, I felt it very keenly. When my daughter came when my daughter came home on Monday, all I could do was uh, I just held her and I just wept. And I felt so much anger and sadness. And the cry that comes up from us all at different times in our life is, Why, Lord? Why? And from the human perspective, we're, we're not going to have answers. And oftentimes people start to supply the answers are cheap talkers. And in our sensational news cycle, we instantly jump to political discussions. But the Psalms, they supply our our words of lament in these times. Like Psalm 13 that says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And in all of this, we come to these, these these Proverbs and we're told that Christ Jesus is King. Palm Sunday, we celebrate that He is the anointed King. And we ask, and he has a kingdom. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it or look like it. And as we think about the mountains of suffering, the sobs that are humanity's song, Jesus, we say, you are yet the king. Jesus, you say, let the children come to me for to such belong the kingdom. You've promised to be our shield, our protector, our defender, and yet this... These things. Why, Lord? Jesus, we oftentimes, we will ask, where is your kingdom? Why is it so small? Has it disappeared altogether? And this is the question that everybody would be asking in Palm Sunday, between Palm Sunday where his, Jesus has his triumphal entry into the holy city and Good Friday. As if, Jesus, where is your kingdom? We thought you were the king coming. Where is it? They'd be disappointed and disoriented. And this is what today's parable actually is about. The mustard seed and the yeast in the dough deal with this. Why does the kingdom of God, the reign of God, look so small? Why does it look like it's gone? In the the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus um, uses the term the kingdom of heaven. You see it in verse 31. Oftentimes, the other Gospels, they use the term the kingdom of God. And these are the same thing. In in Matthew, it is written to a Jewish audience who, out of respect for, um, for God, as the Jewish audience would, they would not say the name of God. And so they would supply the word heaven instead. We're talking about the kingdom of God, and 
I think this is important that you could be misunderstanding what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about some far off land called heaven. The kingdom of heaven. It is about the rule of God in this place. The kingdom of God. It's similar to the vision of John in Revelation that the kingdom of God is about the mystery by which the power of God works to form this world into that future holy city. The new Jerusalem that will one day come down out of heaven from God as we see in Revelation 21 and 22. That the kingdom of God is the mysterious reality where God is transforming the world into his holy city with the river of life flowing, yet our eyes cannot see it. And all that we see says, there is no kingdom. And if there is, it must be pretty small. Jesus, where is your kingdom? Why is it so small? Has it disappeared altogether? And this is where Jesus tells us in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You see, there's a sense here in which we see the kingdom of God. It's unnoticed. And it keeps on going, even as it appears small altogether. And it seems even hidden. You say, I have a, a Vitex plant in my backyard. And a Vitex, you know, is that they're all over El Paso. And a Vitex is that tree-like bush that has those lavender flowers when, in the springtime as it blooms. And the seeds on a, on a Vitex tree are tiny. They're really small. And I remember I planted a Vitex in the first week of the pandemic lockdown. And it was this little plant. And if you've been to my backyard, you'll notice that now this Vitex plant is like a tree and it goes above our stone wall and it provides shade in our backyard. And we always were sitting in our backyard and we had neighbors in the patio that they would sit there and we would sit ours. And now the Vitex plant has grown and so we don't have to stare looking at our neighbors anymore. It has grown big and provides shelter and a screen so I'm not staring at them. It's great. But the Vitex seeds, they're like little BBs. They're tiny. I mean, you've probably brushed up against the Vitex where you're walking down, down the, the, the sidewalk, and the Vitex little BB seeds, they get stuck in your head, and you just brush them out of your head. This is the same thing Jesus is talking about with the mustard seed. Same thing. It's tiny. It's an insignificant seed. It's underestimated. It goes unnoticed. It's brushed away. It gets stuck in your hair, and yet it quickly towers above all the other desert garden plants, becoming 15, 20 feet tall. You see, this is what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God, that it is underestimated. It is not noticed because it is small in appearance, but it keeps on growing. Jesus pushes this further with the parable of the yeast in the wheat flour. In verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and she hid it in three measures of wheat flour until it was all leavened. Now what he's talking about here, this is not your little sister's easy bake oven when you're growing up. Um, this woman is a baker. 
And uh, when we were in college, there was a guy in our church who owned a bakery called Stick Boy um, Bakery and Coffee Shop Bread Company. My wife worked at Stick Boy when we were first married, and there was always this leftover artisan bread and leftover eggs, and we basically lived on the leftover bread and extra eggs for a a long time. But they had a, a baker at Stick Boy Bread Company... And he worked the night shift and the entire night baking loaves of bread in huge vats of dough. And every morning they would be set out for the new customers. But this is what we're talking about, huge vats of dough. And the, the baker lady, she takes her, her yeast and she just puts it in the vats of dough. And it disappears. You no longer see it. What's going on here? You see, the kingdom is the yeast taken and hidden in vats of dough. They leave it in. The yeast is so small that when it is in the dough, you cannot see it anymore. It appears that the kingdom has disappeared. But the kingdom, even when it looks hidden, goes on growing unnoticed. Small and hidden to our eyes. I think it's easy for us to underestimate Or to forget about this. To forget about the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God, to our natural eyes, appears so insignificant. Because we know in the world, the loudest and the strongest and the biggest and the most powerful will always grab our attention. The world, which is not spiritual and does not discern spiritual things, will say, look over here. Look at these big things. This is what's important. This is what's really matter." And that's the way the kingdom of the evil one would work. And we look at all of the sensational activities and sensational things. Wars, elections of presidents, massive governments, and dehumanizing corporations. And, and we say, oh, that is so, that's significant, and that's what matters, and that's unstoppable. And it's overwhelming. And in comparison in your life and my life, our families, our going to school, our working our jobs, being involved in our churches, it all looks and feels and sounds so insignificant. And maybe if you're feisty, you have conversations about Jesus and his kingdom. And even then, it appears that it makes no difference in the world. And it just seems disappointing. I mean, imagine the first recipients of, of, of Jesus' uh, gospel. Imagine those who were going in the holy city. They think the kingdom of Jesus is going to be big and strong right then and there. That the anointed king is going to enter into the holy city and he's going to rout the Romans and defeat them. And instead, what does the triumphal, the triumphal entry of the king lead to? It leads to Good Friday, to the death on the cross. Do you know that in the ancient Roman world, citizens could not be crucified? You can hang them or you could do other things to kill them, but you can't crucify a citizen. You know who who gets killed in crucifixion? It is slaves. This king dies the death of a slave. How disappointing it must have felt. An insignificant death 
the king dies a slave, Jesus, where is your kingdom? Why is it so small? Has it disappeared altogether? But the kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed. It's like yeast in the dough. And it keeps on growing unnoticed even as it appears small and as it appears hidden and as this life is full of disappointment. You see, prayerfully, you and I who are spiritual, as Paul says, can discern the spiritual realities that the kingdom is at work. It is oftentimes unnoticed in the world. See, we underestimate this kingdom. But verse 32 says this, it is the smallest of all the seeds. But when it has grown larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of all the nests, all, all the air come and make nests in its branches. It becomes big. The kingdom, that is that mustard seed that is like your little vitex plant, grows. It does grow. It will be successful in becoming the largest plant in the garden, is what Jesus is saying. It is going to be bigger than your squash, your tomato, your poppy flowers, whatever you plant in your garden. That tree will become bigger. It appears tiny. It appears tiny, but it is growing, and it will certainly be unsurpassed. And this is what sticks out to me about the kingdom of God in this passage. You notice there is, a, there is an incredible discrepancy between the smallness of what we see right now and the largeness of the kingdom that will be. It will be unsurpassed and, and the yeast in the dough is hidden and you can no longer see it as it's growing and it's hidden. It appears to have completely disappeared all the while. The leaven is doing its work to leaven the entire thing. Until the whole is permeated. You see, there is a difference between the smallness of what we see or what we don't even see at all and the largeness of what is going to be in the kingdom. And you notice in here that Jesus speaks about this with certainty. It is a certainty that the mustard seed will become the largest tree in the garden. It is a certainty that you put the yeast in the dough, it is going to leaven the whole lump of dough. The yeast will do its work. The baker puts the yeast in and until it's hidden and hides it until it has leavened the whole thing. That's what it does. You see, we underestimate what God is doing in the world. This is the way it works in God's economy. That what appears small and insignificant to us shall be unsurpassed and all-encompassing. That we see it in Jesus' life, that he died the death of a slave. How pathetic and how small. That his life was as, as, as insignificant to Rome as a little vitex seed getting stuck in your head. It looks like the kingdom has melted away. And the evil one has won. And yet, as Ephesians 1, 20-23 remind us of the hope to which we have been called, that in God's great might, He raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and He seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, and His throne is untouchable. 
far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions and above every name in this age and the age to come. It's incredible. Jesus' life himself, the king, goes from a slave's death on a cross to a king's untouchable throne. He goes from being subject to the ruling authorities to the name that is above all names and the power that is above all powers. That the king who himself, in his life and death, appeared tiny and pathetic in his shameful death is now unsurpassed. And think about it. Rome does not exist The name of Caesars and kings and presidents have come and gone, but his throne remains. You see, the underestimated King Jesus rules triumphantly, and his underestimated, unnoticed kingdom will too. This is good news. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, the first thing that you should think about this is do not underestimate the kingdom of God. Don't underestimate it. See, we know that we are not in Eden. That ever since our first ancestors rebelled against God and were removed from the garden, the cherubim now blocks the entrance into the garden of Eden. And so we live in a world that is reeling back from the curse. And so our whole life serving King Jesus in this world that is not Eden is full of disappointment and sorrows and shootings and terrible things. And so we feel disappointment and we feel grief and we feel anger, but we do so also as those who have hope. Don't underestimate the kingdom of God. That the holy city of God will mysteriously come down and transform this world even though we don't see it with our eyes. Do not underestimate the kingdom of God. But more specifically, I think there is a particular way that we are prone to underestimate the kingdom of God. And I think it's staring us right here in the face. I think we underestimate the kingdom of God thinking that we're needed for the kingdom of God. See, you are not needed for the kingdom. You're not needed. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not needed for the kingdom of God. Together we are not needed. You see, we underestimate the kingdom of God thinking that God needs us for his kingdom to accomplish things. We'll just give him a little nudge on the way to the kingdom, to growing it. Now, if I may run with the imagery of the bakery, listen, you and I and civilizations, we are just lumps of dough getting leavened out. Robert Capone, who's a theologian baker, he put it this way. No matter what you do, the yeast works anyways. At the most, your response, it is good for you. And even your negative responses, even your pointless resistance to the kingdom, it interferes only with your own convenience, not with the working of the kingdom. Do not underestimate the kingdom. It's going to go forward regardless of what we do. 
it'll be better for you to follow the king, but his kingdom will keep, its, keep on working. You see, we're not needed. Don't get me wrong. God delights in our involvement. He likes to use what we do. He says that he's only going to do some things by using us. But that doesn't mean that he needs us. I remember when I was a kid, I would love to help my dad wash the car. He'd go out and start washing the car, and I would see him out there, and I'd say, I'm going to go help, Dad. And he would, I'd run out to the car, and he'd hand me a brush, and I'd wash all over the car, just kind of missing some spots. And then I'd run back into the house with, you know, all wet and, and, and leaving water all over and say, Mom, I'm helping Dad wash the car. And then I'd go back out, and if I was lucky, he would let me have the hose, right? And I have the hose, and I'm washing the car. And for whatever reason, my dad always seemed to get in the way of the hose and was always wet. I mean, it's a good thing that I was there to help my dad wash the car. I don't know how he would have done it without me. Right? And now, I, I mean, I have my own kids that they see me out washing the car, and and they say, I'm going to come help Dad. And I just, at the end, I smile and I say, thank you for helping. <laughs> Did I help my father? Did my kids help me? Yeah. In a way. I think our most fruitful activity for God is like that. It is not needed by Him, but our Heavenly Father finds delight in our delight to serve His kingdom. And he can delight in it because he doesn't need it from us. And so it is pure delight. I think, I think a telltale sign that you and I, that we think that we're needed for the kingdom, there are some telltale signs about that and what we need to change. And I think it is when the weight of responsibility become heavy and a wearisome burden. Yes, he delights in our activity and he gives us responsibilities. But when they become weary and heavy some burdens, I think we have taken on the burden that we were not meant to have, thinking that we're needed. I remember it was May 31st, 2021, and it was my last day serving as an RUF pastor. And, it, and, and I remember feeling that evening, it was like this weight kind of came on me. I literally felt it. And sometimes there, there is something good. There is a weightiness to the cause that God has upon your life. There is a real weightiness to it. But when the weight starts to feel like a very heavy, exhausting burden, I think there is a problem. I have the opportunity to regularly talk with wise pastors and, and a counselor. And I talk to a therapist every once in a while who is also an elder in the church. And I remember not long after I'd start and I had started to feel very burdened. And I couldn't sleep at night. I'm trying to write a sermon and I can't. And I may have told you this story before, but... I'm talking to this counselor, this wise Christian man, and I say, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to faithfully, clearly preach the gospel. I don't know how we're going to reach people 
I don't know how we're going to organize, and I still don't know how to do those things. And they were burdening me down. And my counselor, this wise man, said to me, hmm, preaching, outreach, organization. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you're not him. So you get the gift of repenting. See, in regular repentance of my illusions, of our illusions of being needed, the burden becomes lighter. And service in the kingdom of a king who doesn't need us can be a delight. You see, you have responsibilities as citizens of Christ's kingdom. You have to follow him where he has planted you. There are responsibilities that have weight to them. If you are a parent, you have the responsibilities of raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as we were reminded even in baptism. And if you're a mom, you know how heavy it is. Your children need you. They need you. They need you in a way that as a father, I don't exactly understand sometimes. And that can become very heavy. You present your children to be baptized. We, and we remember that our children belong to God. And that they're given to us to steward their lives for the kingdom. But they belong to God. He will accomplish His purposes in their lives. See, we do not underestimate the King and the kingdom of God. Do not think the outcome depends upon you and me. The yeast does its work anyways. The mustard seed will turn into a shelter-giving tree. And there's nothing so liberating for us in the service of our king as knowing he doesn't need us, but welcomes our involvement. That our allegiance is to the one who has no needs and is eager to supply every single one of our needs. As he says, come to me, All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, says our shepherd king. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking true words here. Do you want to find yourself in this parable? Where are you in this parable? You can be the birds. You can be the birds. That they come and make their nest in the mustard tree. Finding shelter in the kingdom. You may say, Pastor Jeff, I want to do something. I want to serve the kingdom. Tell me what I should do. That's great. Take shelter in the wide branches of the kingdom. Nest in it. Trust in the king. And you will find refuge, for you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the glorious kingdom of the beloved son. And that is the reality. By faith, this is what we see. By faith, we see it in baptism. You want to do something take refuge in the king's kingdom and you will find your 
rest. Let's pray.